Welcome to Wisconsin DNR's Wild Wisconsin Off the Record Podcast. Information straight from the source. Welcome to another episode of Wild Wisconsin Off the Record. I'm your host, Katie Grant, your DNR Digital Media Coordinator. It's springtime, and you've probably been seeing fluffy and adorable baby animals everywhere. I know it can be tempting to want to take them all home. Unfortunately, that's not the best course of action for anyone. Today's episode will explain why we should let wildlife do its thing. So with that, I'm going to throw it over to our special correspondent, Sawyer, with today's guests. Sawyer? Welcome to another episode of Wisconsin DNR's Wild Wisconsin Off the Record podcast. Today, we are joined by Diane Robinson and Mandy Camps from DNR's Wildlife Management Bureau, and we are going to be talking about keeping wildlife wild. So if you're not familiar with what that is, you are going to be very, very familiar with it by the end of this. So thanks guys for joining me. What do you do at DNR and kind of how, how does it tie into what we're talking about today? Sure. So my name is Mandy Camps and I'm the Wildlife Health Conservation Specialist for the Bureau of Wildlife Management. A few of the main programs that I spend a lot of time with are wildlife rehabilitation. I work with uh, licensed wildlife rehabilitators across the state. And I also work with Captive Wildlife and a number of licenses that we have with that program, and most certainly with our Keep Wildlife Wild campaign. Diane? Yeah, my name is Diane Robinson. I am a wildlife biologist um, with the DNR. I work out of uh, Milwaukee County. Um, so most of what I do is I'm answering phone calls from people uh, about a lot of the things that we're talking about today with um, young wildlife, with injured wildlife, with um, animals that uh, you might think uh, need some help from you. What would you guys define as keeping wildlife wild? So keeping wildlife wild means leaving wild animals in the natural world, not bringing it into your home, not taking care of it. Um, again, these wild animals are best adapted to survive in the wild. Um, they do really well out there. They've got really unique adaptations that allow them, whether they're a young animal and it looks like it needs help, um, or an adult animal, they have those unique, unique adaptations to stay in the wild. So keep wildlife wild means leave those animals outside in their home, not in your home. So why is this so important? I mean, from a broad scale, you can look at it as, yeah, that's their home. You need to leave them there. It's the right thing to do. But could, do you guys have maybe break down some reasons why it's so important for them to kind of remain in their natural home? Sure. Uh, well, there's a few main reasons uh, that at least come to mind to me right away is that with, as we've mentioned already with wild animals, their natural home is the environment. They're outside. And so if they're brought indoors with some new sounds and smells and exposure to people and, and domestic animals, that's very stressful for them. That is not normal and it's not typical. And they may not uh, physically show that they're stressed. Um, usually if a wild animal is, is scared or um, if it senses danger, it doesn't show a type of response that we might think that it'll show. So just because it may not look like it's stressed out in a situation, it most likely is because that's not a normal environment for them. And with that too, as we think about their natural diet and their food, they know how to find their right food sources in the environment. And that's what they're, that's a uh, innate or a natural born um, 
instinct for them. And so our food resources that we might eat every day or our diet is very different from that. And so if an animal is brought into the home, it's not just stressful, but now there's a different food source, different nutritional value, and especially with those young baby animals that need a very specific diet as they grow up pretty quickly um, compared to some of our babies or young that we have at home, they grow up pretty quickly and they really need that right diet in order to grow appropriately. So you talked about from a diet standpoint, I mean humans aren't really equipped to know when they need to eat and what they need to eat, uh, but on the flip side of that, if an animal does get used to kind of being fed from a human, can that be problematic too? Oh, certainly. So. Again, wild animals, their natural behavior is to not, um, not be that associated or that friendly, if you want to think about it, with people. Uh, they have this natural, um, you know, maybe sometimes a fear or just to stay away from people. But when an animal is brought into your home or some other um, captive setting, it gets to be too used to people, so it's too comfortable. And so then it starts to become possibly habituated to people, and that really just means that it's used to being around people, it's used to getting fed by people, and that's just a very non-normal, non-typical behavior for the animal. So now it doesn't necessarily recognize that it is a type of wild animal, and it thinks that having a normal um, indoor setting is appropriate when that's it's not, um, it's not the natural behavior what the animal should be doing. So habituation can be dangerous too. Some animals that are used to people, when they grow up, when they become juveniles, things change and they can start to, um, their behaviors change. You know, they're changing from a young animal into adult, so they can be a little bit more dangerous to having that close interaction with people or pets. Um, where they may not appear as, as friendly anymore. They're starting to act maybe what might seem a little bit more wild, maybe a little bit, um, you know, I don't want to say aggressive, but a little bit more aggressive as they changed into a juvenile and adult. So keeping that in mind. Um, mm -hmm. So a good example is that as animals get older, um, as they go from babies into juveniles, they're starting to get some of those territorial um, ideas in their brains. And so at that point in time, that's when in the wild, mom would kick them out and say, now you have to go make your own territory. But if they're in your home with you and you are their family, they're gonna start to um, get into fights with you over that quote unquote territory, which is your home and your area, but that wild animal doesn't necessarily know that. So I think it's really under important to understand why that habituation is a problem because as they get older, and they see you as um, not a human who's kind of in a different different um, location, kind of on the, um, on the wild scale of things, um, but they see you kind of as a, as a peer, and so they're fighting for territory with you, uh, which is one of the, the issues that we run into when those animals can, can act more, um, more aggressive around people. Then from a learning skills standpoint, this is a pretty absurd example, but think about if you flipped it and a human, when it's three years old, goes to live with a pack of raccoons. And then that human goes back to society and they're like, all right, you're 18, time to go get a job. And the kid's just like, well, I've been eating trash for 15 years. Like, I don't know what to do. So can you guys talk about from maybe a, a skill learning standpoint, why that's also pretty big? Because they're, they're not with their, their mom 
or other animals learning these skills? Yeah, that's huge. So really, so we were talking before about diet. Um, mm -hmm. So same with, think of that 18 year old now coming back from living with raccoons, that individual is gonna see um, that worms and crayfish and things like, like that are gonna be good food resources. And crayfish can be good as long as they're cooked under human standards. Um, but that is not going to be the normal human food, and it's the same thing on our end as well. So um, if you look at wild animals, their food sources are really specific for them, and um, they need to be able to help themselves find those food sources. Um, and if they're used to being, being provided food from a human, they're going to see that as um, kind of the natural um, the natural stage of events, so they're not going to know how to go out and catch their own food um, or go out and find their own food. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you to touch on that a bit more, kind of that predator-prey relationship, maybe using a deer and something like a bear as an example, is they're not equipped to either protect themselves from predators or kind of find prey. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so it's both sides. So again, so um, if you think about um, one thing that I always try and hit on with people, I guess, is so if you if you have a deer and it's being taken care of by humans and then even if they try to send it off um, on its own and it's gotten habituated to people, so first of all, you have a situation where that deer has been fed by people, so it has, um, it doesn't necessarily know how to find its own food and it also sees people as a potential um, food source for them and where there's people, there's generally cars. And if you have cars out there on the landscape, we have a lot of deer that end up getting hit by cars out on the road. And so they don't necessarily know to be careful around cars, around people, and things like that. So they haven't learned from mom to be aware of um, people, to be aware of other predators that are on, on the landscape. They haven't been able to learn from mom what kind of food to find, what kind of food you find during the summer versus the winter. Those are all, all really important lessons that that baby animal has not been able to learn from mom if you pull that animal out of the wild. Yeah, and, and with deer as well, if you know if one is raised in someone's house and that person has a pet dog even, um, then that, that young deer will get used to that dog and it won't recognize then out in the environment, well, coyote is not my friend or another carnivore like that is not my friend, so won't recognize that. It won't make that separation between a predator that they should stay away from versus one that, that another animal that they should be close to. And it's one thing to, to think about a situation like that with a deer where it's coming up and it's being petted, but when you talk about a different animal like a bear, that's when it can really get, get problematic. And we, we do see those situations, don't we? Does that Does that happen in Wisconsin? Yeah, I guess probably not as often um, yeah, but um, but you do still have situations where um, you know you've got someone who um, finds maybe a, um, a coyote pup um, and that looks the same as a as a puppy and they're cute and you want to take care of them but as they get older um, again they start to become territorial they start to become more aggressive they start to become more destructive um, and so for all of those reasons, um, it's best you know, for any of those animals to leave them um, in the wild rather than actually bring them into your home. Um, I think you guys offered a lot of reasons why it's so important to keep them wild, but I thought maybe we'd go into now, so Wisconsin, 
a lot of metro areas, but also lots of big woods, things like that, lots of wild animals, whether it's a, a summer house or if you live in downtown Milwaukee. I thought maybe we could offer some specific tips for some of the more common species in Wisconsin that maybe landowners should know. Um, so maybe I start with an easy one, maybe. Is this an easy one? Deer? White-tailed yeah. deer? <laughs> deer are actually pretty easy. Um, so the general, so most of the phone calls that we get when it's related to a baby is uh, someone sees, it's actually really unique, but someone will see um, a fawn in their backyard, in their front yard, in their flower bed, um, and that's not a place that you would normally expect to see a fawn. Um, and this happens fairly regularly in our urban areas, and a lot of times we'll get calls from concerned uh, citizens because they see the fawn there. It's sitting there quietly by itself, but it's in an area where humans don't necessarily expect to see it and there's no mom around. Um, those, those things would raise red flags with most people. If my two-year-old was randomly walking down the street without me, that would be a huge issue for everyone involved. Um, she would definitely wreak havoc. It sounds problematic. <laughs> exactly. Um, but actually deer have some really unique adaptations that in that specific situation, that's normal. So if you look at a fawn, um, during their first couple of weeks of life, they can't necessarily keep up with mom. So instead of having the speed to be able to stay with mom while she's moving around on the landscape, they um, have the, the spotted coat that allows them to be camouflaged so they're not easily seen. Um, if you think about a spotted coat of a fawn and then you think kind of of the, the dappled sunlight coming through the, through the leaves, it's very similar. Um, also, they have very little uh, smell associated with them. So if you think that a predator might find them or something like that, um, most of the predators, most of, of a deer's predators would be searching by, um, by smell. And fawns don't actually have that smell at that point in time. Um, so what fawns do in those early um, parts of their life is to sit still and wait for mom to come and feed them and then she'll go away again because mom is the one who's moving. So if anything, mom's gonna be most obvious to the predators. So when we get phone calls like that, Mandy and I will say, it's okay, that's perfectly normal. Leave the fawn alone. Um, if, it's, if you have a dog, you know, keep your dog away from that area. Um, give them some space, give them some time. Mom will come back, she moves the fawns every once in a while, she only visits the fawn um, every, um, every few hours or so. Um, so if you see a fawn out there by itself without mom, that's normal. So chances are mom's relatively close. Mom so is almost always nearby. Not to worry. Mm -hmm. So what should a human not do if they see a baby deer or even if there's any issues with adult deer that you guys see? Can you kind of break it down? Well, as Diane said, if, they, if someone finds a fawn and it's curled up quiet and um, not making noise, and it's, but it's by itself, that's still okay. And the best thing to do is just leave it there. Don't pick it up. Uh, try to reduce your own activity in the area. Don't feed it. Don't try to feed it anything. Mom's gonna feed it. It'll be just fine. And basically just give it some time. Let it be nice and quiet in the area. Um, if there's a lot of activity, mom will may not be as likely to come back as frequently. So as long as you can leave it there nice and quiet, not feeding it, then give it some time and mom should return for it. And what she'll do is she'll probably know um, that may, maybe this isn't the best spot and then she'll come back and maybe she'll move it a little bit off to a different area. I think the important thing to remember too is this is something that this species has done for probably 
forever since they've been around. So it's not some new thing and it's not something you should be worried about. Right. So that was deer. What I guess I'll stop there. What do you what do you get the most calls on? Is it deer? A depends lot. on the time of year. It does. It really does depend on the time of year or the time of spring for the most part. Fawn calls will start mid to late May and go for about a month. That's about the main time when fawns are born. Uh, before that, even starting in March already, maybe in a couple weeks or a little bit of time here, uh, we'll start getting calls on some squirrel nests as people are out in the yard already getting some yard work done, getting ready for spring, really anxious to get outside after being inside for the winter, um, they'll find some squirrel nests. Those young squirrels are born early in spring, uh, so you can find them pretty early. Raccoons would probably start around late April into May, start getting some calls on the young raccoons. And then a little bit after that, actually I get quite a few calls on the young raccoons that are a little bit adventurous and they tend to wander away from mom a little bit more. Um, and that time of year, the young raccoons are active during the day. So they're, it, the world is new to them. They want to explore and their eyes are open and they'll, they'll wander away from mom. And mom still has a tendency of being nocturnal or active at night. So you might see a lot of the young raccoons out without mom during the day, but that might be okay. So for someone listening who may not be super familiar with wildlife, are there things that you can look for to kind of make that decision that they might be sick or injured? Is there any kind of telltale signs that you can check the box and and know that something might be wrong? It's kind of a tough question, but. Well, and that can be different for every species too, but if like with raccoons, if we continue with them, um, if you notice the young raccoons out for, you know, a day or a good portion of a day or two days now, and you see them, quite a bit and you're starting to see them more and they seem to almost be in some ways you know making a noise that sounds like crying um, or they're starting to get maybe a little bit less active by the time you've seen them well then you might start to think okay maybe the mother isn't around and maybe there is something that we could do by giving us a call or giving their local rehabilitator to call gets a little bit of extra advice at this point and just see you maybe what the next steps are if you make that determination you've kind of gone through the you've checked the boxes and and this animal might be in trouble so can you walk through a hypo- hypothetical situation maybe we'll pick uh, we'll pick a deer okay so let's say you see a fawn and it's um, it's not laying down it's walking around in the yard it's um, making kind of crying noises or bleeding noises bleating as a as a sheep um, and it looks um, like it maybe maybe has some some flies buzzing around it or something like that those are all indications that it might um, need some help. Um, so the first thing that you want to do is do not touch it, do not feed it, do not do anything with the animal. You should call a wildlife rehabilitator. Um, call Generally call your local wildlife rehabilitator. Um, not all wildlife rehabilitator, rehabilitators take care of deer, um, but you can still call your local rehabilitator and see if they have any general recommendations or if they know a rehabilitator in the area who can help you with deer. Another option with a situation with deer is you can call the DNR customer service line and we have the contacts for uh, deer rehabilitators. Um, So in order to be a wildlife rehabilitator, you have to be licensed, you have to go through a lot of uh, training and wildlife rehabilitators are specialists. Um, If I have a baby wild animal situation in my backyard, 
I'm not going to do anything with it because I'm a I'm a wildlife biologist. I'm not a wildlife rehabilitator, so I would call um, a rehabilitator because they're going to be the ones to know exactly what to do with that animal. So if you go on the DNR website and you type in rehab, R-E-H-A-B, that's going to take you to our wildlife rehabilitator directory. You can look up by county, um, so based on what county you are, or if you're in between, if you're near two counties, um, then you can look up both counties to find a rehabilitator near you. So I think the top thing there to remember is don't touch it, don't feed it, call the expert, and they will come and help you get it figured out. Exactly. And a lot of times, depending on the situation, so probably not with deer, but if it was a squirrel or a rabbit or something like that, the wildlife rehabilitator can walk you through the specific situation so they can tell you exactly what to do in that, that situation. So with their help, you might be able to pick up the animal and move it and bring it to them but you should never do that until you've talked to a rehabilitator first. Mm -hmm. Does anyone just want to wrap up Keep Wildlife Wild one more time just so we can kind of burn it into their brain? What is the top thing that you should remember when you think of Keep Wildlife Wild? Don't touch wild animals. Simple. And, I like it. <laughs> and yeah. a wild, young animal's best chance of survival is with its mother. Okay. Uh, so we do have a lot of information and resources out there to help you. Um, to get you the information and just know that if you do find an animal that we does need help maybe it is truly orphaned we do have the resources and those are those licensed wildlife rehabilitators that can be contacted yeah. so I think one of the reasons that we get so many calls and questions from people and why this, is, this initiative is so big is because people really truly want to help if they see a situation they might think an animal is hurt or injured they're not sure and they really just want to take care of that animal um, and so that's why we have those resources for people so that they can look at those and they can know um, if what the best way to help is and maybe that help is to not do anything and just watch maybe that help is to call a wildlife rehabilitator but that's why the keep wildlife wild initiative was started so that we can provide people with those resources so that they know and so that they can help in the best way possible and I think it's really good for providing peace of mind, too. If you may be worried about something and it's bugging you, but if you call the expert and they tell you it's absolutely fine, there you go. It's a win-win. Wow, what an awesome interview. Thanks to Sawyer, Mandy, and Diane for those tips on what to watch for and what to do if you find an animal in need of help. Remember, keeping wildlife wild means an animal's best chance of survival is with its mother. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any feedback, leave us a review. Have a question you'd like to hear answered on a future episode? Email us at dnrpodcast at wisconsin.gov. And be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform to be notified of future episodes. Thanks for listening.